Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. Well, tonight is another special night because we have our next crew of our seven and seven. You guys can come to the stage and take your seats. Seven and seven is something I started doing last year where I would look through our FBI students and graduates and or ministry school graduates and I'd pick them out and say, well, you got seven minutes to preach. And I usually give them a topic and they practice with me. I look over the notes, give them encouragement and feedback. And we've done this a few times before and each time it's been dynamic. They've been a great blessing and they're going to do it again tonight. Amen. So what I want you to do, I want you guys to amen them and say praise the Lord. Shout them down. They get a good point. Say amen. Don't stare at them like sometimes y'all do me. Encourage them. They're doing a good job. God's raised them up to do great things. Amen. So let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for all the speakers who are about to share tonight. We thank you for the anointing that's on their lives individually and the anointing that's in this house. Grant them utterance as they share forth the word of God tonight. Let our lives be transformed by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and share as Brother Cam comes first. How's it going, Faith family? Uh, firstly, I want to say thank you to Pastor Carrick and Lady Raquel. Uh, deeply humbled and honored to be up here speaking in front of you guys. Uh, before I begin, let's go back before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for this experience right now, Heavenly Father. I pray that no one that came through these doors, Heavenly Father, will leave here the same. I pray that everyone's hearts and minds are receptive to the words that will become forth. May we leave with a deeper revelation and love and yearning for you. We give you glory, honor, and praise for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Faith, tonight I want to talk about prayer, right? How it relates to conversation, right? What it is, uh, more importantly, what Jesus says it is, and what it can do, okay? So while I was preparing for tonight's message, I had so many great ideas. So I go before the Lord in prayer, and I'm like, God, uh, do, do you want me to talk about prayer in tongues, or, or do you want me to talk about prayer in faith, right? Or maybe an accessory prayer, or maybe uh, prayer in worship, or prayer in praise. And when I was finished toiling, I heard nothing, right? So I was like, you know what, let me go back before the Lord in prayer. So I, I was praying, I said, God, maybe I can talk about what prayer you still like in the Old Testament, or perhaps what prayer looks like in the New Testament, or perhaps what prayer looks like in today's time. And when I was finished toiling again, I heard nothing, right? You can ask my wife. I was pretty frustrated early on because I kept talking and talking and talking to God, and I was continuously hearing nothing at all. So by the third time I went to God in prayer, I was pretty exhausted, and I was just tired, and I was quiet. And then I heard the Spirit say, oh, is it my turn to talk now? <laughs> right? So you have to understand, me and God have a special relationship. I could be a bit snarky sometimes, so he has to talk to me in my language. But essentially what God was saying was, Cam, you know this, right? This prayer is a conversation, and how impactful is it if only one party is speaking, right? So I was like, oh, my bad, right? We all know prayer as a lifestyle, but I think we need to start looking at prayer as conversational as well, a conversation between us and God, right? An intimate moment between us and the creator of the universe and also a powerful, impactful tool uh, available to Christians, okay? 
So I start looking into this conversation thing a little bit deeper. Uh, firstly, I looked up what conversation was, um, and it says a talk, right, especially an informal one between two or more parties in which news and ideas are, and here's the kicker, exchanged, okay? If it isn't a conversation, if information isn't being exchanged, right? So I start looking a little bit deeper into conversation, and I found some pretty cool statistics that I wanted to share with you. Um, did you know that the average person speaks about 125 to 175 words in a minute, right? Some of us are a little bit above average, but the average person speaks about 125 to 175. Um, of those words, only about 7% accurately convey what we're trying to say, right? Other things show up in hand gestures and facial expressions, things like that. Um, also, the average person can hear about 400 to 500 words in a minute, right? So we can speak about 175, but we can hear about 500 in a minute, which indicates to me that God created us to be a social people, right? Ones that can speak as well as we listen, okay? Uh, in Jeremiah 29, 12, um, this is God speaking, and he says, then they will come to me, right? And then they will pray to me, and I will listen to you, right? Here we have God and all of his majesty and his might and his power, and he, even he understands the importance of taking time to listen in the conversation, right? So how do we pray, right? So if you will with, with me, turn to Matthew 6, if everyone has their Bibles, um, you could turn to Matthew 6 with me. Uh, this is Jesus giving a sermon on the mount. Um, prayer as it relates to conversation, right? Matthew 6, Verse 5, and it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, right? For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, right? Some translations say a closet or a chamber. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen, right? Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, like I was, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them, right? But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He takes it a step further, right? He tells you the do's and the don'ts of prayer, but he also gives us a model as to what a prayer sounds like or should sound like, right? Because in Matthew 6, 9, it says, In this manner, therefore, you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I can talk about this prayer all day, but I only have seven minutes. Well, maybe a few seconds left now. But God, Jesus speaks about a few things in that passage, right? It's intimate, right? We see him asking for guidance, you see him ask for provision. You see him ask for forgiveness. And you also see him ask for help, right? So with those things in mind, let us go before God one more time, right? Dear Heavenly Father, firstly, we want to say thank you for this day, one that we're alive, one that we're breathing, one that we have the opportunity to come before your throne of grace, knowing that our words don't fall on deaf ears, but they fall upon the ears of a God who loves us and cares about us. Heavenly Father, we repent of our sins. 
We pray that you cleanse us once more of our unrighteousness so that we may stand before you clean one more time, Heavenly Father. Here we are standing, say we need your help, Heavenly Father, in every aspect of our lives. Help us and fill us with more of your love, more of your grace, and more of your wisdom so that we may carry out your will upon this earth. We give you all glory and all honor and all praise for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I'd just like to uh, introduce my topic. I'm running sermons, serving the seed room. But I'd like to introduce my topic by just an example. If you were to ask a person who had a million dollars or so, $100,000, do you have any level of faith or confidence that you would receive it? Now, you may need it very, very badly and want it even more. But I think if you really were to look within yourself, you would have to say, there's a little bit of doubt that I may not get this. And some of the reasons would be, this person really doesn't know me. I don't know them. They don't know my character. In essence, I don't have a relationship with them. So basically, if I don't have a relationship with the person, my expectations from that person are going to be small. However, if we have a relationship, then our expectations should be greater. So when we talk about faith and faithfulness, faith in the Greek word, um, faith in Greek in, um, is pistis. It boils down to trust, confidence, reliance, assurance, or belief. In order to have true confidence in God, we need to understand our position, our standing, and our relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, if you could go there quickly, I will read for the sake of time as you're getting there. For by one spirit, we are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. In the New Living Translation, that was King James, the second part of that says, we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So baptism, the word in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says we're baptized into one body. Baptism is, comes from the Greek word baptizo, which basically means if you immerse or submerged as in a sinking vessel. An example would be if you were to go on a ship and you were over the place that the Titanic sunk many, many years ago, you wouldn't see the Titanic. All you would see would be the ocean and, and the sea. That's something to think about as we start going along in, in this example. Galatians 3.26 says, for you are all children of God by faith, in Christ Jesus. And, and in Romans, we don't have to go there. I just mentioned this. It says, the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then if we are children, then we're heirs. If we're heirs, then we are joint heirs with Christ. And it also said, going back into Galatians 3.27, says, for as many of you as have been baptized, submerged into Christ, have put on Christ. 
And it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. Now, this baptism into Christ, when we really think about it, is not something that we do. Matter of fact, we couldn't do it. We are placed from God inside Christ. And this happens when we are born again, when we confess based on Romans 10, uh, 8 through 10. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. At that point, your Father, God, and that's the relationship that's established, He puts you and us inside of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. Now, I say that again. God has united you with Christ Jesus. No person on earth can go up to heaven and unite us with Christ Jesus, but your Father did. Because Christ was the prototype son that he wanted, that he sent here for us. So this verse in, uh, that I just read, it has tremendous truth and implications for our relationship with God. In essence, we should no longer relate to God outside of Christ. You know, we, we have this issue, and I have it as far as looking at me, what I have done, what I've said, my deeds, my actions that have not lined up with what God said I should be doing. And when, what happens is that when we, when we go to God, I think about those things rather than the fact that I'm coming to God only. And the only way I can get there is through Christ. When we come to God, we have to approach him as his children because that's what the Scripture said. By faith, we are children. Of, by faith in Christ, we are children of God. When we come to God, we have to realize as his children, Christ has made us holy, pure, righteous. We are in our spirit as righteous as Christ. We are unblameable, unreprovable. So think about that when we're praying and asking God for anything. Since we're coming in and asking through Christ, there is nothing that he will deny us. That's in his will for us. Now, if we ask amiss, that's a different story. But if we, if we ask according to his will, the answer is always yes and amen. All the promises of God in, inside of Christ, his promises towards us, health, wellness, prosperity, wisdom, knowledge, as we study, as we study the word, all of those promises, they're yes, and then so be it. We the, the issue becomes, and I have noticed this with me, is that in a, in, a, in a moment of, I wouldn't say anxiety, I was going to say panic, but maybe anxiety, we forget who we are. We forget the relationship that we have with God the Father. And then we start acting in self. And then, so our minds have not been fully transformed. So the word, what we have to do to get where God needs us to be is to study. Study the Bible. As Romans 12 to 82 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can only renew our minds based on what the Word says. And when we realize that we are in Christ, and we would know that God has freely given us all things, and we just need to possess them by faith. When we come to God, 
and realize as he's, a, he's a loving father. He loves us far greater than we could ever, ever imagine. So when we come to it, let's come to him expecting to receive every good thing that he has to offer us, every good thing. He has already promised, if we ask, it's ours. So let's ask in faith through, through the finished work of the cross, which is righteousness by faith, not looking at who we are, what we've said, what we've done, but what Christ has done on our behalf through the finished work of the cross. And also Peter said, according as his divine power has given unto us all things, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So that means we have to study to understand who we are. But just know that whenever we come to God, don't come as you. Come as Christ has made you in the spirit realm. And the answer will always be, always be in his promises, yes and amen. Yes, and so be it. Good evening, Faith. My name is Jennifer Isom, and I will be talking to you guys about walking in love tonight. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, New King James Version, it reads, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also have loved us and given himself to, for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. No matter what you're going through, no matter what people say about you, no matter what happened around you, no matter what looks you get, <laughs> remember to be like God and walk in love. Amen? In Genesis 1.27, it says, God created us in his image. So we need to be like God and walk in love. Me and my husband, we... Um, <laughs> We have to learn how to be like that duck in the rain. The duck in the rain, regardless of how hard the rain is coming down, the duck's still going to do what it is that he's out to do. So regardless of what's, what comes up against us, regardless of what's said, we're going to let it roll off our back and trust God and walk in love. Amen? There have been many times when we was lied on, and called into the office, <laughs> which wasn't good, and I didn't like it, but glory to God, we have to be like God, and God reminded me, well, I really wanted to leave the church, but God reminded me about my big brother, Jesus. He was also lied on, and he had to continue to walk in love with everybody, forgive everybody of everything, amen? In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, it reads, let all that you do be done in love, regardless of where you're at. On your job, it could be your boss, it could be a coworker. At home, it could be your spouse, it could be your child. Serving at church, it could be a first-time guest, it could be a member or even a minister. Whoever it is, you still need to walk in love and just represent God. Amen? Now, when we was lied on, it was really, really, really hard for me to do what I knew that God wanted me to do, which was walk in love with everybody, forgive everybody of everything. I had to face these people, and I'm like, God, really? 
But he always reminded me of Jesus, my big brother. So they did this and more for him and with to him. And he continued to walk in love. So I continued to walk in love as well. What does it mean to walk in love? Kenneth Copeland said, love is the bottom line. Nothing count without it. In short, you can't go anywhere spiritually or in your relationship until you get your love walk straight. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, it reads, living a life ruled by the love of God is what opened you up to walk in the spirit and live in the highest measures of blessing and power of God. I don't know about you guys, but I want to live in the highest measure of blessings and power of God. Anybody else? So we're not going to be able to do, do that if we can't walk in love with our brothers and sisters, if we can't forgive everybody of everything, if we can't represent God, we're not going to be able to do that. So I'm going to read you this poem that this, this uh, one of our members wrote, and she, she said a great example of walking in love and forgiving everybody of everything. So I want you guys to just listen to these words. To walk in love requires stepping away from oneself. It requires looking at the perspective of someone else. To walk in love requires giving the benefit of the doubt, believing the best in what walking in love is about. To walk in love requires extending the same grace that God extended to you. It requires understanding if you deserve grace, then they do too. To walk in love requires sometimes listening when you want to speak. And yes, sometimes it requires turning the other cheek. To walk in love requires your speech to be gracious and seasoned with salt. It requires you to consider your words and not speak without thought. To walk in love, allow love your neighbor as yourself to be your guide, always remembering that this is what God has required. To walk in love requires forgiving even when not asked to forgive. It requires letting it go and refusing to relive. Walking in love requires asking forgiveness for a hurt to another. It requires your desiring to live peacefully with your sisters and your brothers. To walk in love requires stepping away from oneself. It requires looking at the perspective of someone else. Amen. Now, after that, if you still unsure about walking in love with your brothers and sisters, here at Faith Christian Center, we have different ministries. If you're married, we have for life. If you're single, we have the singles. If you're 55 and over, we have living epistles. If you would like to be a part of an all-men group, we have the men. All-lady group, we have the all-ladies. Get connected and remember to be like Jesus. Walk in love with everybody. I want to leave you guys with this. This is from Spiritual Inspiration, and it reads, When God put love and compassion in your heart towards someone, he offered you an opportunity to make a difference in that person's life. You must learn to follow that love. Don't ignore it. Act on it. Somebody need what you have. My name is Amos Johnson, and what the uh, Holy Spirit when we guys talk to you about today is <clears throat> how to honor God with your money. Have you guys heard that term before? Yeah, we heard the term before. We live here at faith, right? So usually when you hear that term, honor God with your money, we associate that with giving into an offering plate, right? That's how we associate it, honoring God with your money. However, what I want to do today is kind of span 
your understanding of that concept and to show you that actually honoring God with your money is actually giving money to any believer. That's actually honoring God as well. So let's go to some background about honoring God. Let's go back to the Old Covenant in Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10. It's Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wines. So King Solomon told us that the way we honor God with our substance, the result is that our barns are going to be filled with plenty. That sounds like abundant harvest, right? That's the year we're in, right? So this ideal of honoring God with your substance, the way they did it under the old covenant we see an example of this in Exodus 23, verse 19. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord your God. So the way they honored God with their money was they actually brought their substance to the house of God. Now, what makes something a house? It means that somebody lives in this house, right? So the house of God was where God's spirit lived under the old covenant. And that was actually a physical temple, right? So when they wanted to honor God, they had to physically bring their money to a physical, literal temple because that's where the presence of God dwell, right? It wasn't like it was anywhere else. It was just right there. So they had to get to that temple if they was going to honor God with their money, right? Now, we know that in our new covenant, we don't have this elaborate temple system anymore, right? But in the new covenant, the temples are us, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 19 says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you, right? So Paul told the Corinthians church that God lives in you, which makes you the temple. And he actually told him again a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, in case they didn't get it the first time, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So Paul is trying to get this point across to us that God's Spirit lives in us. And so we said what makes a house a house is that something lives in it, right? So if God's spirit lives in us, what, what does that make us? It makes us a temple. It makes us the temple of God, as Paul was talking about. And so if we go back to our example under the old covenant. When they want to honor God with their substance and their first fruits, they brought it to the temple. But right now, we're that temple. So which means that if you bring something to any believer, you're bringing it to God because we're that temple. Now, to further explore this idea, let's look how Jesus equates himself with us. Matthew 25, verses 35 to 40. Now, this verse of Scripture, we usually hear this in a negative light, like who's going to get into heaven, who's going to not get into heaven from this verse of Scripture. But it shows us a, 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 a great connective point here. So that's Matthew 25, verses 35 to 40. Jesus says, and this is going to be like at in the last days. For when I was a hungered, you gave me meat. 
When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? So they were confused a little bit, right? He said, Jesus was saying that when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you came and visited me. You took me in. And they were like, when do we do that, God? Remember, God, Jesus, you died a long time ago. How do we do that to you? And look what Jesus tells them in verse 40. And he said unto them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it, Unto one of the least, the least of these, this is the key word, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So what Jesus is saying is that when you do something to Pastor Carrot, you did it to him. Right? When I do something to Kurt, I did it to him. When I do something to Jack, I've done it to him. Right? When I've done something to Minister Ison, I've done it to Jesus. Right? So he made this equivalence that... Anytime you do something for a believer, you did it for me. So guess what? When I bring money to any one of you believers to say, Steve, who did I do it to? Jesus, right? Now, here's what I want to get you to see this. It's any believer, right? So if Kurt gives his wife money, who did he give it to? Jesus, right? So sometimes we don't think that counts, right? <laughs> Right? Right? So we don't think that counts. Right? <laughs> because, like, we say, well, we can't give it to our family. That doesn't, that's not giving. No, no. If they're a believer, that's giving. It doesn't matter. I heard Kenneth Copeland say this a few years ago when he was having this pity party. He was saying about how much money it took to, for Gloria to live, right? And he was like, I'm giving all my money to her. And God said, that's a seed you're sowing. Right? So when I give money to my wife, I'm not giving to her. That's a seed I'm sowing because she's a believer, right? I'm honoring God with my money. That counts too, right? That counts too, right? Your kids, that counts too, right? They're believers, right? So we need to span our understanding of this and realize that when you do it to any brethren, you did it to Jesus, right? And guess what? This is your abundant harvest, right? So when you do it to any believer, Proverbs told us our bones will be filled with plenty. So we can claim the abundant harvest anytime you want to do it to any one of the brethren, right? You did it to Jesus. All right, guys, thanks for listening. That's all I got for you. Well, first off, I want to say thank you to Pastor Gary for this opportunity. Uh, my name is Davon Lee. I'm a graduate of Faith Bible Institute here. It's an honor to get into this, so let's get busy. Everyone say, confession brings possession. You know, as we've been sharing so far, this is the year of abundant harvest. This is the year where God wants to show up and show out. It's going to be like we turned the corner. And it's going to take us dedicated to seeing what God wants for us in our lives. And we have to want it. We have to really want it. And I like to say that confession is a vehicle by which you can move your life 
from a place where it doesn't look like God's promises are applying to you at all, nothing's looking like it's right, to the place where it looks like God's word concerning you is true. Because that's what God's will is. God doesn't want us to be walking around looking like he a dead be dead, because he's not. Um, but confession is, what, is how we get there. Confession is so important. And, you know, this has revolutionized my life in the past two years, especially in the past eight months. And this stuff is so special. And the thing about it, Mark eleven twenty three, this confession stuff, you know, believe in your heart, say it with your mouth, don't die in your heart. You can have those things you say. This wasn't, this was Jesus' idea originally. It wasn't Kenneth Hagin. It wasn't Charles Capps. It was Jesus, the master. He said it. And honestly, about confession, God has already spoken his word over your life. The Bible's there. There's no edited version coming out. There's nothing else, no updates. He's already spoken his word concerning your life. It's up to you and me to say what he's already said for us to see it. We just have to say it. He's got the words there. We just have to say what the word says. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Appreciate Pastor Carrick. Appreciate Brother Copeland. Appreciate all those people. But it's not their job all the time to speak your faith for you. You know, they're preaching, they're speaking the word, they're speaking life over you. Pastor Kira's like some of the houses paid off and all that great stuff. We received that, of course, praise the Lord. But it's not their job to always talk faith for you. And, you know, the word of God is anointed. We believe in the rhema word of God, the anointed word of God. There's something you can take from every message, anywhere. But you know your needs more than anyone else does. And you have the same Bible that's relevant to your life outside of this place, you can speak faith outside of the church house, and you can take your Bible and find what God says, his promises concerning your life, and speak it yourself and not rely on someone else to do it. And, we, you know, we, we do appreciate, you know, all those things, but you believe your voice first. You're convinced of something based on you saying it. You believe yourself above all else. You know, God's word is powerful in his mouth. God's words anointed in other people's mouth, but God's word is most effective in your mouth. You can talk yourself into victory. You can do it. You can see these things. And sometimes you just, you just have to get crazy with this stuff. You know, I appreciate, you know, being realistic and all these things, and don't get me wrong. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be vulnerable. We can't just be faking this thing. We have to be real for ourselves and be honest about things. But there is a level of realistics that we have to get beyond. Because if you're going to say you serve a God, with God, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible. If you're going to be realistic, why would you want realistic results when you have a God who said nothing's impossible? Who wants realistic results in that case? I don't. You know, 2 Corinthians 4.13 it says, we have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. God, we talked about communication. We talked about all these things today. God wants us speaking his word. You know, in life, and this will stick with you. Keep this. Write this down. You're not supposed to speak what you see. You speak what the word says. You don't talk about what you see. You talk about what his word says. 
it's not going to be easy. You have to be consistent with this. It's not about the, the mountaintop faith, the great moments, you know, oh, I feel anointed. I feel great. Pastor Carrick, lay hands on me. I'm going home. I'm talking all about everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm the blessed of God. I'm abundant. Two days later, oh, mm. you, you have to be consistent with this stuff. You have to believe it. And the thing about it, you just can't do this thing by rote. You have to know who your God is. You have to know who your father is. You have to know that he loves you, that he wants to take care of you. You can't be legalistic with this. Your faith has to move your mouth for it can move your mountain. You have to know that you have a father that wants to take good care of you. He loves you so much. Don't put your faith in the confession. Your faith can't be in the confession. Your faith has to be in Jesus. If your words could change it, you could just speak it all. You know, speak into existence. Your faith in Jesus. And you can't get legalistic with this stuff and get all caught up in the words because then you're associating the power with yourself. And you think that you're all powerful by yourself. Your words, you're just speaking what God already said anyway. He said it before the foundation of the world. You're just repeating it. Your words literally shape your world. You have to understand that what you say is what you will see. You know, God talks about words. He talks about the power of life and death, sin, and tongue. He talks about um, choose this day life. He tells us to choose life. It's not just about being positive, positivity, but your faith people talk about his goodness. Confessions bragging on God. You know, Kenneth Hagin said, what a lot of people are seeing in their life today is a result of what they've been saying yesterday. You know, I know it's cute, you know, in Twitter culture in 2019, you know, it's always good to talk, cute to talk down on yourself. You know, I'm broke, I'm all these things, I'm sick and all this, but you gotta get beyond that. You gotta know what the word says. You have to know that God's going to take care of you. You got to know that he loves you. And you just can't be performing with this. You can't be performing with the confession. You can't be making it about you. You're facing God. You have to have faith in God. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We call those things that be not as though they were. That's what God's word says. No kid is going to be with their parents saying, I believe I receive, I believe I receive, I believe I receive. When, if Cam wants to give his son ice cream, you, want, you think the kid's going to say, I believe I receive, I believe I receive, I believe I receive. Thank you, Father. I believe I receive. Just take the ice cream. Just take what God has for you. That's how you're going to get to experiencing everything God has for you, walking in victory, and seeing it come to pass. Amen. Amen. Well, hello, Faith Family. I'm Chastity Palmer. I serve in the Worship and Arts Ministry. Woo, woo! <laughs> um, it is my pleasure and honor to share with you about one of my favorite topics, and that is worship. I love worship. I always have. But I have to admit, my understanding of worship has changed a lot over time. I've had a lot of misconceptions about what it is. For starters, how does it differ from praise? And they're actually very closely related. They're both about honoring God. They're both very powerful. Um, praise, I tend to think of more so as thanking God for the amazing things he's done. Worship is about honoring God for who we know him to be. So one definition that I saw um, is, oh, hold on now. Let me get myself together in my notes. <laughs> um, worship is about lose, is the art of losing self in the adoration of another, right? So it requires a certain level of vulnerability and authenticity. That's why Jesus said in John, God is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. There's no other way to truly worship the Father. 
Another misconception I had was I thought of worship as being one way, right? So we go before God, we raise our hands, we sing, we talk about how amazing he is, and then we go home. And those are all expressions of worship, absolutely. But he is such a selfless, loving, caring God that he chooses to bless us in our worship when he doesn't have to. Um, unfortunately, though, faith family, I don't think that we have really scratched the surface when it comes to worship. I think sometimes we make it about, especially here at church, is Odate that's not leading? Okay, well, I'm going to just watch from home. My favorite worship leader not leading. Or we make it about our favorite song, or we treat praise and worship like a concert, and we expect to be entertained, and we miss out on an opportunity to encounter God in a phenomenal way. It's unfortunate. And so today, I want to talk about some of the many benefits and powerful effects of worship, starting with the fact that worship evokes God's presence. Now, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But when we worship, he, he manifests his glory and his presence. And I'll give you an example. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 5. What's happening here is um, Solomon is king and he's built a temple and it's beautiful. They put the finishing touches on it and they're having their first official service. Everybody's there, the praise team, the musicians, the deaconettes. Are those even a thing? I don't even know what a deaconette is, but they're there. Everybody is there worshiping the Father. So uh, verse 13 says, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and saying, he is good and his love endures forever. They're talking about who they know him to be. That's worship. It goes on to say, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Their worship evoked God's presence so much so that it physically manifested as a cloud. And their little agenda, their little, their little service, they couldn't move forward because God was there, and he said, we're going to do something else today. All right, and how many of you know when God's presence is here, nothing is impossible, nothing is off limits? So in addition to worship evoking God's presence, it's also a weapon. And I don't know that we often think of, of worship as a weapon. One of my favorite individuals in the Bible is David. David was a worshiper. He danced. He sang before the Lord. He wrote the entire book of Psalms, which is essentially a love letter to the Father. So what's happening in 1 Samuel 16, 23, um, now Saul is king, but he's disobeyed the father. And so God has removed his hand from Saul's life and allowed him to be tormented by an evil spirit. So Saul calls on David to worship. And so verse 23 says, whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. So many amazing things happening in that verse alone. One, did you notice how it wasn't even Saul's worship that brought him deliverance from that spirit? It was David's. David's worship brought forth God's presence. And when God manifests his presence, Satan has to flee. He has no authority. He has no dominion. He literally has to go. That spirit had no choice but to leave because God was present. How many of you know that if we spend time in constant communion with the Father and worship with the Father, his glory rests on us? What does that mean? It means when we go home, when we go to work, when we go to school, wherever we go, that environment has to change because God is there. Amen? So in addition to praise being a weapon, it brings peace. I've got another story for you. So this one takes place in 2 Samuel 12, 20. Fast forward in time, now David is king. All right, so he's ruling. Like Saul, he's not perfect. He was a man after God's own heart, but let me tell you something. I 
love reality TV. It's full of drama, but the word is full of drama. David, listen, he slept with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, killed her husband. God was not pleased. And so as punishment, he took David's firstborn son. And so what's happening in um, verse 12, David has just learned that his son has died. And this is his reaction. Then David got up from the floor, washed himself, put lotions on, changed his clothes. Then he went into the Lord's house to worship. At what I can imagine was probably the lowest point in David's life, he chose to worship the Father. Later on in that chapter, it talks about the resolve that he had, and people were like, David, are you, your son just, how do you have peace? God gave him the peace that surpassed all understanding through his worship. And finally, I want to talk to you about one more person, um, and that is Hannah. And she shows worship's ability to bring healing. So Hannah is married to Elkanah, and she's barren. She can't have children. He has this other wife over here who is like fertile myrtle and got all the kids in the world. Um, just And making fun of Hannah because she's barren. So Hannah is um, in the temple. This is in 1 Samuel 119. She's in the temple. She's crying out to God. She's praying so much so that someone thought she was drunk because of just how just violently she was praying before the father. Um, she's seeking what she desires, which is to be able to bear a child. And so this is what happens in verse 19 and 20. Early the next morning, they, so Hannah and Elkanah, arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of the time, that time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. So her worship her prayer got honored, and he remembered her and gave her healing. And not only did she bear a son, but she bore Samuel, who is like one of the most amazing prophets that we ever know, right, to exist. And so I could go on and on with examples about the power of worship. I bet you can think of some in the word, in your personal life. But the challenge that I'll leave you with, Faith, is uh, don't underestimate or undervalue the, the power of our worship. All right, do not underestimate it. The next time you find yourself feeling down or in need of a breakthrough or healing or whatever it is, I challenge you to worship, and I guarantee you God will meet you where you are. Amen. Hello, Faith family. It's funny. Um, this is weird. This is, I'm not usually in this position. But, but for real, y'all laugh because I mean that. But y'all like, boy, you up there all the time. Well, the thing is, and the truth is, I like to talk, and you'll hear me talk and set up songs, and I'll have a mini sermon for every song. But the truth is, if y'all don't get it and it falls flat, I can sing right after. If I'm preaching, there is no song. So you got to get it. So I pray you get it. Anyway, so I'm here to talk about praise. What is it really about okay if i ask most of you what praise means to you i'll probably get several different answers uh she was all in my message so one of them would be um praise is the weapon she said that um another would be is thanking god for things he has done uh, i'm gonna ask somebody else to be praised binds the enemy and all of these are correct but what is it really about um the command to praise god can be found in the bible 250 times 
throughout the Old and New Testament, and I don't have a lot of time, but I can read some of it. And you got to go there. Psalms 117, 1 to 2. Praise the Lord for his merciful kindness uh, is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Um, Psalms 152. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Uh, Isaiah 25 and 1. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. It goes on and on. Another one. Psalms 115 and 6. Let everything, I say this all the time, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That means the only prerequisite that you need to do that is to be alive. Praise ye the Lord. Now, have you ever wondered why God, listen very closely, commands us to praise him? Have you ever wondered about that? Is it because he's ego tripping? Think about it. Is it because he's insecure and he needs you to say you love him 30 minutes every Sunday for praise and worship? The answer is no. In the next few minutes, I'm going to show you why, and it may shock you. <clears throat> now you can turn your Bibles to Acts 17, 24 and 25. In Acts, it says, Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't need your praise. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need to hear he is good. He already knows he's good. Your hallelujahs are not fueling his goodness. Your thank you, Jesus, is, is not fueling his love towards you. It's important that we know this for two reasons. One, we can't think we are doing God a favor when we lift our hands and praise him and praise and worship. Two, we can't think our praise is causing him to move. If so, in the days when we don't feel like praising him, that would mean he won't move because we were tired. That's not the nature of God at all. Another scripture I want to talk about. Go to 2 Chronicles 20 and 2. And I want to talk about Jehoshaphat. That's a big old story. There's a lot of elements to this story, but I'm just going to minimize it to, um, to 20 and 2. 2 Chronicles 20 and 2. Jehoshaphat was told an army was coming against him. Some people, it says, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He prayed, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And I think that's really funny. In a whole town called a fast, that means all the businesses are shut down, and they don't make no money because you're believing God for something. And so McDonald's and Burger King were a little upset because he shut down all of the business because everybody had to fast. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, I don't, I don't want to read the rest of the point, but at that point, Jehoshaphat prayed. What later happens is a word from the Lord that says they won't need to fight in this battle comes. But instead, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, and this is what they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they begin to sing, 
and praise the Lord. Y'all know this story. The Lord set up ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Now, all I just said, I'm going to narrow that down. Basically, they had to fight these people. And to fight these people, Jehoshaphat commanded his singers to sing praises unto God. And they defeated. They never had to pick up a sword. They never had to use a sword. They won just by praising, and they defeated. What was God showing them when they praised? What was it really about? One, he was showing them his love. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Two, he made it possible for them to win the battle without fighting, to show them his unconditional love for them. You don't even have to fight. I'm going to prove to you how much I love him. You don't have to lift a finger. The battle is won because of me, not because of something you've done. Three. No matter what they did, he wanted to show them that he loved them, whether they fought or not. His way of showing them that he loved them was he, they, the battle was won without them moving. Four, the praise was for them. What is praise all about? It reminded them how much he loves him. When they sang, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. That was for them. That was when they said that it showed them what God's love meant to them. The praise was for them. It reminded them how much he loves him, and that's why they won. Praying for hours doesn't move God any more than praying for two minutes does. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm going to say it again. My brother who talked about prayer says it again. Praying for hours doesn't move God any more than praying for two minutes does. I know because I get too many prayers in because I have, you know. <laughs> but, but let me explain. I don't want you to run with that. Let me explain. <laughs> it's about touching him. You remember in Luke 8.45, the woman with the issue of blood, she made virtue leave his body. And that took two seconds. She got healed immediately. She didn't tarry for 24 hours. And I'm going somewhere with this. When you're sick, posting a million scriptures on your wall and praying for eight hours a day isn't what moves God. That's for you. That's for you. That's to help you stay in faith so you won't waver in your faith and believe that God can do it because it's all about what you believe. So when you, and don't, don't negate people who do that. Like, by all means, whatever you need. If you got a negative report, put it on your refrigerator. Open up the refrigerator. Put some old scripture in there if that's what you need. But that's not what moving God. That's to help you. When we praise God, he loves it, but he doesn't need it. It's actually for you as well. You need to hear that his mercy endures forever, not him. You need to know God is faithful when you feel alone. Have you ever come to church and we sing songs about faithfulness and you felt alone? And then we just begin to say how God is faithful over and over again. All of a sudden, you got the revelation. You what? You know what? I'm not alone. God is faithful. That was for you. 
You need to know God is faithful when you feel alone. That's two. You need to know that God is healer. We sing healing songs all the time. You come in here, you get a negative report, and we offer praise. I believe you're my healer. And then all of a sudden, you're right. He is my healer. That was for you. Praise reminds us of who God is. When I got married, I used to have to tell my wife I love her, and she was beautiful a million times. She needed that affirmation. She needed to hear that because of her own self-insecurities that she dealt with for years. It was just fine. Once I learned her love language, I figured it out great. Oh, just say it a million times. Got it. Love you, love you, love you, love you. And I got it. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> she needed that. God doesn't. He's not insecure. <laughs> he knows exactly who he is. He wants you to know who he is. He actually isn't really interested or even concerned about how much you love him as much as he is about you knowing how much he loves you. You can say, I love you a gazillion times. He gets it. He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about you understanding how much he loves you. Some of the best times of worship was when you're being reminded of his overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. How he chases me down, fights till I'm found, and he leads to 99. Some of the best times of worship is when we're explaining what he does and how he is to us. Or being reminded that he is jealous for you. He loves like a hurricane bending beneath the wind of his mercy. Or being reminded that his kindness leads us to repentance. His goodness draws us to his side. His mercy causes us to be like him. His favor is our delight. Every day I'll wake in my praise and pour out a song and say, God, you know what? Even when I'm not good, you're good. That's what it's all about. And I think my time is going now. But I'll say this last thing before I sit down. I would challenge you, whatever you're dealing with in your life, if it's depression or, or if it's uh, a feeling alone, find a song that reminds you of what God is to you in that situation and play it over and over again. Sing it in your spirit. Go to work singing it. Go to lunch singing it. Go back home singing it. And it will remind you exactly how good God is and your praise to him. He's going to receive it. He's going to love it. He's going to inhabit it and all of that. But it's going to allow you to open up your heart to receive. You know what? You're right. He is my healer. He is faithful. He is good. Somebody shout hallelujah. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially to support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.